What's up, y'all? It's your boy Wheezy with yet another exquisite podcast. Today I had the pleasure, the grand pleasure of having the one and only Gerard Williams join me on the podcast. He's a world-renowned author, journalist, and he was a co-host on the show Finding Hitler. I felt he was a little cheated in that episode. We didn't get to hear a lot of his insights, and he did go into that on my show. And in this podcast, I did ask him some questions. Um, I had been listening to his podcast all week long, and I figured I would ask him things a little different. Maybe it may have come off as a little too aggressive, but wanted to have fun and ask him stuff that he had not been asked before. Hope you all enjoy, and... Pay attention to the description for his Facebook links, as well as my YouTube and other associated items. Thanks, y'all. Enjoy. All right, we are live. All right, y'all. Welcome to the What is Truth podcast live stream, a special evening tonight. We have a special guest in Gerard Williams. Uh, Make sure, if you are catching this on the re-upload, make sure you... Look at the description for all his links. I was, and make sure you hit the Spotify app and you know follow the podcast on there. And we do have a private Facebook group as well. So if you are interested, the link will be in the description. And make sure you answer every single question to have a shot at getting let in. Uh, all right. Mr. Gerard Williams, this is an exquisite treat. I am so excited to have you on tonight. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Zeus. Yeah, looking forward to this. It's, um, you may notice I'm sounding a little sibilant. I'm in the middle of uh, some dental work at the moment, but um, even though my voice may not be up to its usual standards, I hope that my answers will be. <laughs> no, I'm sure it will. I've been following your work for... I th- you know, I first really got wind of you listening to you on Ricky Verandas. He was on my show a couple of weeks back. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, when I heard you there, if you, you know, well, let's, before we get going there, tell us who, tell us a little bit of who Gerard Williams is before we get right. going. Um, who am I? Uh, I've been an international, mainly television news journalist for, um, the last 43 uh, years, um, started 18 after A-levels, decided not to go to university, got lucky enough to um, be offered a job at the world's largest television news agency, Viz News as it was then, Reuters TV now. And um, I, I covered both Iraq wars um, in Baghdad, um, Bosnia uh, from Belgrade for almost two and a half years, um, the fall of the Soviet Union, um, the tsunami in Iraq, um, ah, you name it, and most of the major stories of the late 20th century. Um, Rwanda, if I didn't mention it, the Nelson Mandela elections. Um, I've got two grown-up kids. Uh, I live on my own at the moment. Um, what else can I tell you? I've always been somebody who has worked in real news and um, had never, ever strayed from it um, until one day sitting in a car park in Baghdad in 40 degree heat with a helmet and, and a flak jacket on 
I decided I'd had enough of news, hard news anyway. And uh, at the same time, my, my brother, my great cameraman, Bill, was coming out of um, Kabul with dysentery. Right. And he decided that um, he'd had enough of it as well. Um, and I think the phrase we used was, we're too old for this shit. <laughs> so we went out for a beer and we decided we'd get into making long-form documentaries, um, which we did for a while. And um, so we, we shot in Kenya and Albania and, and then ended up in Argentina, which is where the last 12 years of my life have been, um, have been focused in Latin America mainly, um, but also in other places around the globe that are of as much importance to my field of research as um, as Argentina is. Right. No, I, you, your resume speaks for itself, and I am extremely humbled, you know, that I'm able to have you on my little little <laughs> channel there. So, and Don't be humbled. It's a great pleasure. Well... That's one of the things that has stood out as I've listened to you throughout the week and, and, you know, gathering more information. Don't want to bog you down with a lot of the same questions. Uh, one of the things that has really stood out is your humility. Uh, you come across as, you know, for all the experience and, and as grandiose as your resume is, your humility shines through it all. And that is that becomes quite apparent, you know, rather quickly. Uh, so uh, I don't. I don't don't feel humble at all. I mean, I always think of myself as being, um, in some ways, immensely lucky. Um, I often say to good friends, not bad for a comprehensive schoolboy from Cardiff, um, which is what I was. And um, I've been lucky enough to see humanity all around the world at its best and its worst, sadly. Um, so it, it's just what I did. Um, you know, a lot of us were sort of accidental tourists. Uh, I think that's a Bill Bryson line. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we spent our holidays in hell. That is a Bill Bryson line. Yeah. And, um, we were fortunate, lucky, I think, even though I've lost some good friends on the way and had some others wounded, but I've made some friends which will be with me forever as well. So uh, it, you know, it, it's luck in many ways. Right. No, it's, it's awesome stuff. Uh, yeah, I first, uh, came across you you know, again, I, as I touched on it at the very beginning, was with uh, through the Ricky Verandas Ripple Effect podcast. Uh, who, yeah, I've been on Ricky's show a couple of times. He's um, yeah, he's a good interrogator. Yeah, he's he's a good buddy of mine. I've known him uh, for a couple of years. He was on my show a couple of weeks ago. Cool. And uh, he was one of the reasons why I got into podcasting. I, you know, he's a real real great gentleman. But he, you know, when I heard him. When I heard yourself on his show just a few weeks ago, I think it was, maybe a couple of months ago, mm -hmm. uh, I was floored with, you know, the whole Hitler story that you had. And, you know, this was stuff that I had no clue. I only knew the official story, and that was it. And 12 years ago, I was exactly that boy. Yeah, well, when, about it. Yeah, when I heard you on uh, Ricky's show, I... My jaw was just dropped the entire time. I I mean, it's just... I told Ricky when he was on my show a couple of weeks ago, at, he has interviewed many interesting people. He's had many people that have been on the Joe Rogan experience. But hands down, my favorite podcast was where was when he had yourself on. So to have you, you know, accept my invitation to come on to this show, it was just... 
extremely humbling and, and I am extremely grateful. It's uh, my pleasure. You're very kind. Well, it's <laughs> I'm being completely honest with you. So let's get into the whole Hitler story. What you know, what led you to go down that hole and and, and tell us what you found. Okay, well, um, I've told this story many times, but um, I was in Argentina doing other material, um, stuff on their economic collapse, um, stuff on the Church of Diego Maradona, a great footballer who passed recently, um, and other material for people like Channel 4 and Al Jazeera um, and Sky News as well. And I came across this story that Adolf Hitler had fled to Argentina in a submarine at the end of the war. And I thought to myself, this is such a great yarn. I've never done a conspiracy theory story. I'm going to do this really silly film for the first time in my life about the worst dictator, well, one of the worst dictators of the 20th century, making it to Argentina in a submarine, ending his life in the Andes. And I thought, brilliant. This is just going to be such fun. I get into kooky territory and um, it'll be... It'll be the first time I'll I'll ever have done a documentary which isn't completely serious and completely straightforward. Right. And then I started looking at it because that's what I do. You know, I'm brought up on who, why, what, where and when. The the, um, journalism's got a very bad name recently, um, maybe under Trump and um, fake news and all that stuff. But where I come from, you know, journalists tell... The truth, as we see it, we're not commentators, we're there to report the facts. So I, as you do, started to look back at the um, the stories, and I'll use that word carefully, the stories surrounding Adolf Hitler's death in Berlin. And as I started to look at the accepted um, stories, um, other bits of information started to come up, like a pilot who flew them out um, of Berlin, a, an interview with the um, senior Russian officer at the bunker um, with, in Time magazine, where he said they fled, they went to Argentina. Oh, here's the escape tunnel they used. And this is a letter from Ava Brown that we found partially burnt in the bunker on the way to the escape tunnel. And I yeah, give me a break. I mean, this can't be right. And then I started to read further and look further, and there was more witnesses to... Um, to Hitler's escape, and there was a SS officer who saw him on the ground in Tonda in Denmark, and then there were uh, just just lots and lots of bits. And I wanted to go back to Argentina anyway. I love Argentina; it's a great country. I have many wonderful friends there, and I started to look at the Argentine end of things, and a lot of it gets confused with. Stories of, God, you know, Nazi bases in the ice in the Antarctica and um, flying saucers and uh, just complete and total <laughs> tosh, yeah. rubbish stuff. But it, it confuses and obscures the real stories from real people of Hitler being in Argentina post-war. And it's not just Hitler, you know, it's it's dozens of senior Nazis and maybe... 100,000 European fascists who escaped via the um, rat lines down through the Vatican and out on on ships and um, later on aircraft to Latin America. And, yeah, I'd always been told Hitler shot himself in the bunker. Um, Eber took a suicide pill. 
Um, very few Nazis escaped to Argentina or South America, maybe uh, 3,000 or something. And, um, you know, there were no Nazi organization after the war. Denazification happened in Germany. We got rid of them all. And everything I started to read from contemporary journalists told me that this was complete and total rubbish. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I mean, I was totally shocked. Right. Yeah, it's just so fascinating. Um, who was it? Uh, uh, Joseph Goebbels? You know, if... if you yeah, I can't never remember whether it's actually Hitler or Goebbels, but... I think it's the Goebbels. Line is, the line is, if you tell a lie often enough and loudly enough, it becomes the truth. Right, right. And, and, you know, that's exactly what's happened in this case. Right, exactly. And, you know, I've been following you and listening to several of the podcasts you've appeared on. So I somewhat have a pretty decent gauge as to a lot of your your world views and i tend to agree with just about you know uh most of the stuff i think the only difference would be that i do get a little bit more conspiratorial especially when i hear a story like you know the whole hitler story you know there is so much nonsense that has been spewed out and then you know i'm also a big fan of george orwell uh, yeah, you know too. the whole 1984 stuff. It just resonates so much. Um, so, as far as the let's let's kind of stick with the whole Hitler story, and then we can go off on these little little fun little conversations <laughs> after. Sure. But uh, as far as the evidence, because you know if you talk to people that don't know and they only know the official story, and the official story states that. Hitler shot himself, you know, in the bunker with Ava Brown, and yep. end of story. The that's right. the official story. However, okay. well, they, you know, the official story, if you look at the actual official story from the Soviets who took the bunker and the bunker complex, they found a number of um, poor doubles that were meant to look like Hitler but weren't Hitler. They found no bodies that could be, these are direct quotes from the Soviets, they found no bodies that could have been Adolf Hitler or Ava Brown. General Allenbrook, um, who, Field Marshal Allenbrook as he became, the chief of the British Imperial Staff, um, went to the bunker and was talking to the Soviets and the Soviet officer he spoke to said, no, they're in Argentina. We found nothing. Um, <laughs> Then the Russians say, of course, we have his skull. That skull has been DNA tested. It's a woman in her 40s, so it can't be Ava Brown. She's too young. There's a hole in it. Um, somebody got shot in the head, but it wasn't Hitler or Ava Brown. Yeah. Then the Russians say, ah, but we've got his jawbone, and that's been tested, and it, it goes up against um, records, dental records of Adolf Hitler. But they're not dental records at all. They are the remembrances of a secretary at a dental practice that Hitler attended um, under intense interrogation by the Soviets. She would have said anything, so would I, um, when you're being dealt with in the way that they dealt with their prisoners and they wanted information out of them. So the idea that there is any factual evidence at all of Adolf Hitler's death in Berlin is nonsense. There isn't. There are no there's no forensic proof of his death at all. I wish he had died in Berlin. I mean, it would be so much cleaner. Yeah. Um, it would be so much easier to um, accept that, you know, Hitler shot himself and took um, poison. So did Ava. End of story. Nazis get defeated. Um, we go on, you know, we, we are the champions, America and Britain. 
Uh, everybody forgets about Canada, but Canada had a huge involvement in World War II. And, of course, the Free French and the wonderful Poles um, and all the others who fought against fascism in World War II. But that's not the truth. And I'm not one of these people who makes these things up. You know, I've, I've walked the ground. Um, I've talked to a lot of eyewitnesses. Um, and I've gone back and looked at the contemporaneous reporting. Right. And it's what reporters say at the time that I have a tendency to believe because I know how difficult it is to get a story published or on air. It goes through a whole series of editorial um, filters before it makes it into a newspaper or before it makes it into onto radio. Um, and, you know, there's a, a BBC report from the guy who um, is with the Soviets when they take the bunker and Thomas Cadet, the BBC reporter, formerly the correspondent in Paris, um, says they didn't find him. He's disappeared. And, you know, that, that broadcasts out there. I've used it on a number of occasions in various media I've done. Um, why would Cadet lie? Yeah. And then you have Hugh Trevor Roper, the guy who wrote, you know, the, the death of Hitler, the accepted death. Trevor Roper, why choose Trevor Roper. He was a medieval historian who had worked reading radio intercepts during World War II. Um, he had no standing in society. He wasn't a detective. Um, he had never done anything forensic. Why didn't we put, you know, a couple of senior guys from the FBI in there or a couple of senior guys from Scotland Yard in there to tell the real story? I think the answer for me is that if we had done that at the end of World War II, they would have come up with a story that wasn't acceptable to the powers that be. Right. Or the powers that were. And, I mean, there's just so so much squirrely stuff that, that you know, with the whole Hitler story. Uh, I mean, and you can even go back to World War One. World War One essentially started with a conspiracy, a JFK-style conspiracy. Uh, that's pretty much what what got that going and i guess and i wasn't always like this you know the way i look at the view uh view the world yeah when i was younger i <laughs> this may sound strange i mean i'm i'm near 40 now but when i was younger i felt like you know i've always been a a lefty you know type of type of guy and believed in the government stuff and and uh i was actually even religious now I'm like the polar opposite. Now I'm more of an atheist and don't buy the government stuff because, you know, of all the different, you know, rabbit holes, I, I'm, I suppose you can, um, you can say that I've been following. And so, you know, I was already kind of into the conspiracy side of things. But when I heard your story, it floored me. <laughs> like, and, and it makes me to the point where I'm just skeptical. I heard you in one podcast uh, mention, you know, how journalism has kind of fallen, um, you know, in the last few decades and whatnot. But I did hear you mention uh, Dan Rather, which yeah. caught piqued my interest because uh, Dan Rather, I don't know if you've ever seen this clip. He, in one of the clips, you know, when the whole JFK um, assassination was going down, Dan Rather, and you can find the clip, I, and after the show I can send it to you, but Dan mm -hmm. Rather goes on TV and tells people that JFK, you can see in the video that 
JFK's head flings violently forward. So he was going along with the whole narrative that he had been shot from the back of the head. Well, if you look at the Zap Ruder f- film, that completely contradicts it. And uh, I, have you ever heard of John Barber? No, not immediately okay. anyway. Yeah, John Barber was a huge television personality back in the 60s. He's still alive. Um, he's, he's a bit older. Uh, John Barber, he has done documentaries on the whole JFK assassination. And, you know, that was one of his main clips to start one of his documentaries documentaries is how you know the media has helped you know a lot of this bs to go on over the years it's very difficult i mean when you um so if you if you're reporting something like the jfk assassination which i had know a little about but not a huge amount about um i will we can come to that a bit later on because there is a party involvement in that but, oh, I, I, I've, seen, I've seen the connections there. Yeah. yeah. But so if you're reporting, so what I don't, I haven't seen the clip, but Dan rather would not have been commentating. He would be reporting on what the Dallas police said or what the FBI had said or what somebody had said. He wouldn't have made that up. Um, people do nowadays, but I don't think journalists of Dan's generation, um, and there was another Walter Cronkite, another great hero of mine, the CBS guy who pretty much pulled you out of Vietnam on his own. Um, they didn't make things up. They would have quoted and they would have said, this is what somebody has said. People nowadays don't do that. People nowadays just say whatever comes into their minds. Um, so I'm Dan is still around. I still read his blog. Um, he does still strike me as one of the few voices of reason within um, what could be described as mainstream media, right. um, even though he's been retired quite a while. Part of the problem is, is that there is so much material out there and the internet has done us favors and not favors in that when you're dealing with something like the Nazis post-war, the stuff that's made up is just mind-boggling. It takes you down rabbit hole after rabbit hole. And I still don't know whether some of it is... Well, I know, I know that some of it is deliberate disinformation. Right. Um, and some of it is just, you know, some teenager typing one-handed in a bedroom somewhere in the back room of, of Manchester or Arkansas or somewhere. And it obscures everything. Oh the yeah, the number what... of dead ends I've gone down is unbelievable. And with something like the JFK assassination, I always call it the JFK murder right. um, because he was murdered deliberately um, by well, people. I think I'm pretty damn sure who did it. But so many books have been written, so much material has been put out there that you can look at the Zapruder film and know that that is 16 mil shot that day, color, all the rest of it. And it's real. But nobody can look at it and say that it is real because everything else says it isn't real. Everything else says this happened. Right. You know, that there's one gunman. Yeah. Um, there's obviously not one gunman there. Anybody <laughs> will tell you that. I mean, a policeman, a special forces guy, whatever, will tell you it's not one gunman. Well, um, even if you look at the polls that they do every now and then on 
you know, they'll poll the the general populace. Who knows how much we can trust these polls with all the nonsense that goes on. <laughs> but yeah. a lot of the times you'll see the polls that will say 60. And I've seen some polls as high as 70% of the uh, general populace, American populace, do not believe the official JFK uh, Well, there's a new, story. new Netflix documentary series coming out with um, material from um, Jackie Kennedy, uh, later Jackie Onassis. Right. And she, she directly blames LBJ for it. Oh, she yeah. She says LBJ killed my husband. No question uh, in my mind. <laughs> yeah, but it, who did it for him is the... Um, yeah. So it, when, when well, it, I'm not really here to talk about JFK. What I will say is that the Warren Commission... Yeah. has two of the biggest Nazi collaborators, Alan Dulles and J.J. McCloy, on it, and they deliberately obfuscate all the findings of the Warren Commission. Um, and Alan Dulles, you know, former oh, OSS, yeah. then CIA. Um, dirty, 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 dirty man. <laughs> no, he's a foul creature. He's the biggest right. traitor to America since Benjamin Frank- uh, Benjamin Arnold. Well, um, well yeah. Well, one of the things, and we'll go back to the Hitler thing, but one of the intriguing things, a lot of the same characters in the Warren Commission also played a role in the 9-11 Commission. And a lot of people don't realize that. There, mm. So there, that's why I know a lot of people are quick to dismiss it, but there's so much things to look at. Uh, and we can yeah, have fun with that my, later on. My, What's that? My thing is that I, mean, I watched those planes go live into those buildings on TV, right. and that's about as much as I know about it. I know people who have spent the last whatever right. looking at the details, everything from you know blowing up the girders to um, yeah, explosives, char- shape charges, all the rest of that stuff. I haven't spent thirteen years looking at that. Yeah. So I think if I you think- did, if if you spent a few months on it, you would be convinced. I'm telling you, I live. Uh, Literally five minutes away from one of the alleged hijackers, Mohammed Atta. He's he's labeled as a ringleader, and I drive by that guy's house pretty frequently. And you know, as I've said, I'm not I'm a non-believer. I'm an atheist, but for whatever reason, I get this weird, sick, turning feeling every time I drive by that damn house because that's where a lot of that stuff was planned. Um, And I also have driven by the Royal Saudi house that uh, helped finance the hijackers while they lived here in Florida, which is in the 28 Pages Report, which is heavily redacted and protects a lot of the royal Saudi interests. You know, well, and, you know, and there's so much nonsense behind it. 9-11, you guys end up going to war in Iraq. Afghanistan. <laughs> a bunch of Saudis flew a plane into... Yes. Uh, and you still supply the Saudis with weapons and military training and... Yeah, I'm terribly quiet about what they're doing in Yemen and everything oh, else. Oh, yeah, yeah. The world's yeah. filthy. Yeah, it, I mean, it, I, and that, everything I've ever seen in the world has been filthy. Well, um, that's the thing with Mandela being elected. You know, a lot of people will say, maybe I've said it enough, but, you know, like, we'll view Trump as a hero. And I, and I point out, I quickly point out, how come he made a $100 million arms deal with the Saudis if he's your hero? How come when the Pensacola shooting, and it was a Saudi national that committed the Pensacola shooting, he immediately backed the Saudi government? He, you know, it's, it's the same nonsense. And I guess my worldview is I think both sides are full of crap. It's, it's political theater. Uh, 
you know, it's just there's so much nonsense. You know, the finger could be pointed on both sides, quite quite frankly. Uh, you know, we talked about a little bit of LBJ. LBJ was a conservative Democrat uh, from the South, and he had some friction with John Kennedy, a liberal from the North, you know. And so yep. there was obviously animosity. I don't want to say I think we could have a little bit of fun with this um, towards the end. <laughs> Let's get back to uh, Hitler. One of the... One of the things I've heard you mention is body doubles. And I, the reason I want to hear your take on the body doubles for Hitler, um, I want to tie that in later on as well. Well, I mean, the, I can't remember how many the Soviets said they'd found. At least half a dozen. Um, you know, that there is material that, um, that shows that Adolf Hitler used a double regularly um, throughout his time as um, Chancellor. And... Um, there are pictures. I mean, we did in Grey Wolf, the book I wrote with my colleague Simon Dunstan, which started my whole involvement in this subject. Um, we proved that the pictures of Hitler, which are said to be the last pictures of Adolf Hitler, said to be taken on April the 20th, 1945, are not Adolf Hitler. They're a double. They're a bad double as well. The nose yeah. is the wrong shape. The ears are the wrong shape. I didn't just check this on Photoshop. I had the head of... Um, medical physics at one of London's top universities do this for me. And, um, you know, we, we found out that those pictures, which are always said by historians to be the last ones of Hitler and taken on April the 20th, were not. They were taken on March the 20th, a month earlier. Yeah. They appeared in the final um, copy of the Hitler Youth magazine, um, which was published on April the 20th, 1945. Not many copies, because they were having a few problems. Um, but, you know, it's not Hitler. And yet there are people with him who would later swear that it was Hitler. And, um, you know, he, it was taken on April the 20th. But the facts are that it's not taken on April the 20th. And the, sci the science is that it's not Adolf Hitler. I mean, you know, people have used body doubles throughout history. And um, especially in the 20th century. Right. Uh, Churchill used them. Um, we know Hitler used them. Um, Saddam Hussein used them. In fact, I've, I've met and interviewed one of Saddam's um, body doubles, uh, who's quite Jesus. nice guy. Yeah. In fact, um, yeah, charming gentleman. Um, much more charming than his boss. Yeah. So that we know there have been body doubles throughout history. And again, in um, General Allenbrook, Field Marshal Allenbrook's um, personal memoir of World War II, he says that. The Soviets told him that they did find a female body, um, but that it was one of Goebbels' girlfriends, actresses. So the Ava Brown supposed body was actually one of Joseph Goebbels' actresses, um, dressed to potentially look like her, and to look like her enough to fool the people in the bunker. Because um, I think the body doubles are executed in the bunker um, after the Hitlers, except they're not the Hitlers at that stage, they're Hitler and Brown, have escaped. Right. And then to make people believe, those people who would later go on to tell the story of Hitler dying in the bunker by suicide, all of whose stories don't fit, don't match, many of which contain obvious lies, they would believe that that was how Hitler had died. And right. that's all part of the plan you know, which is, he's dead, it's over, they won't go look, why would anybody go looking for a dead man? Right. You know. 
Jeez, yeah, so much, so much nonsense in, in the you know entire And although story. he's escaping and living until 1962, is sort of the headline. That's what grabs people. Um, the key figure in all this is Martin Bormann, the yes. leader, of the, the leader of the party, right. the National Socialist Democratic Arbeiters Party, the Nazis. So who was and, Martin Bormann? I've heard you speak over over the week, but bef- uh, previous for me to listening to your you know your words on him i had no clue who he was could you tell us who briefly who he was sure but, but let's look at his portrayal in quotes history um there's a great film which makes me laugh every time i watch it called downfall bruno gantz is adolf hitler the end days in the bunker and everything else martin Bormann plays a tiny part in this in many um books and things about hitler he's described as hitler's secretary Okay. Martin Bormann is the secretary of the Nazi party. He is known as the Telex general among the Nazis because he is in contact with every single Gauleiter who are the Nazis who run the civil administration in every town, village and city in Germany. And Bormann is in charge of them. From 1943 onwards, Bormann is the man you have to speak to to get access to Hitler. He's the doorkeeper. He controls access to the Führer. He is the most powerful man in Nazi Germany. And um, he is the guy, I believe, who cuts a deal with OSS, um, Alan Dulles especially, to enable Hitler, Brown himself, and other senior Nazis to escape from Germany with a great deal of the money that they stole and raped from Europe during the war um, to South America. And in return for that, um, America, a, a part of America, and it's not the deep state or anything, I still haven't worked all this out completely, but a part of America in return gets Werner von Braun and all his scientists yeah. and all his technology, which puts the USA on the moon. Operation um, Paperclip. They, the paperclip's just a tiny part of it. Oh, yeah. Um, they also get pretty much access to the SS intelligence operation overseas um and they use that throughout well up until the 70s um to contain um leftist revolutions in latin america um and um to push what became the united fruit company's policy in latin america uh, the cia's war oh, in yeah. latin america um they get so much they get so much science they get so much um information i mean the whole story about how Werner von brown surrenders to Patton's third army <laughs> is nonsense it's complete nonsense oh yeah um you know he's supposed to his brother is supposed to have ridden up to a tank of third army on a bicycle and said actually my older brother and all his scientists are just up the road when they want to surrender to you americans the real truth is that a group of um, British commandos, 30 commando, 30 assault unit they're called, led by Commander Ian Fleming, the man who wrote the James Bond books, has gone into areas of Germany which are designated to be come under Soviet control, picked up all these scientists from their homes and brought them to Third Army. Mm. Now, how did they know where they all lived? How did they know how important they were? How did they know where to get them? 
They could only have done that if they'd had insider information from somebody senior in the Nazi organization. And for me, that man is, um, is Martin Bormann. Um, and it's not just Nasser or Nazi, as I keep on thinking of it every time I see Ben Von Braun. Um, it's, ah, you know, everything. There'd be no rock and roll if it hadn't been for the Nazis. You know, they were the first people to do multi-track recording. Um, well, Henry Ford was a huge fan of the Nazis. <laughs> uh, don't start me. Yeah, well... Henry, Henry that... Ford is the most disgusting, racist creature that America has ever yes, produced. Yes, yes. Well, that's um, the thing. He, I... had, he had the highest civilian honor that the Nazis could um, could give anybody outside of Germany. Well, that's um, the thing. When you know, when I this, I, and I like I mentioned Ford, before, Ford I completely. Uh huh. The Ford Motor Company yeah. produced up to half of the vehicles used by the German yes. army during World War Two. Yes, and you know, so did you young know? Germans have been did you know Henry Ford then? Uh, apparently, one of his plants was bombed uh, that he had in Germany that was making the vehicles for the yeah, Nazis. Yeah. He, oh, I didn't. I'm sorry. I did, I did not read that. No, I just. Okay. But I mean, yeah. he, he bombed it, sued the U.S. government because they bombed his company, and he won the case. There's so much nonsense. Five million dollars. Five million dollars. Yeah, which his in today's plan, money is what? Plan, oh, I know a billion. Yes. Um, huge. Um, but his his plants were off the bombing lists. So your brave lads in their um, fortresses and super fortresses, flying over Germany in daylight, open the fighter attack, were not allowed to destroy the plants that were making the vehicles to move people <laughs> on the ground. And yeah. one bomber group um, had missed its target and didn't want to fly back to its bases in Britain with a full bomb load. So one of the guys said, what's that down there? It's a factory. And they blew seven kinds of hell out of it. Um, and after the war, as you say, went to court and won $5 million in damages. Yeah. Yeah, it's so um, just disgusting. So you've got you've got Ford motor vehicles driving young German boys to meet young American boys in Ford motor vehicles on the beaches at Normandy. One did I? And there's only one. There's one operation making money out of that. And that's the Ford Motor Company. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and I had heard reports that Hitler was a huge fan of Henry Ford. He had a uh, poster in his office he, of Henry Ford. He quote. He quotes Ford in Mein Kampf. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, the, the guy is... I don't know whether you, you, you've seen on television in America. It's, it's being broadcast here as well, which is um, The Plot Against America, which is about um, how the Nazis end up ruling America um, using um, as their figurehead president the uh, oh, guy who flew the Atlantic, Lindbergh, Lindbergh. and whose son was kidnapped right. um so the famous Lindbergh kidnapping so in the plot against america which is a book by philip roth i think sorry philip if you're listening i got you wrong um it shows how the republican party become the um the ruling power in in the u.s before world war ii happens right. so there is no um 
they sign a, a non-aggression pact with Germany and, you know, the Japanese simply don't hit Pearl Harbor. So you don't go to war. So the arsenal of democracy, as Churchill once described the USA, um, never came into being. So basically the Nazis end up winning. And um, it's basically about a, a Jewish family in America who um, have family in Europe who they stopped hearing from and then they, some of them join the resistance movement, some of them flee to Canada um, to keep the fight going. Um, and it's a very interesting viewpoint because, of course, there was a huge Nazi party in the United States, the Bund, um, before World War II. Right. Huge. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people. There are whole, there's a whole area of Manhattan which had names like Goebbels Street, Himmler Street, Hitler Street, yeah. um, which were all taken down in 1941. Um, there were summer camps, you know, which were based on the Hitler Youth. America, America had a very big Nazi... Um, uh, they liked them. Yeah. You know, huge corporations invested hundreds of millions of dollars in rebuilding Germany, before World War II, um, people like Prescott Bush, you know, the Bush's oh, granddad. Yeah, yeah. Um, Don't get me involved. started on the Bushes. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it, it's interesting that, um, uh, you know, the, the senior Bush, who your former president, well, was he the 40th, 38th president, whatever. Well, it goes back um, to his, gra all... his granddaddy, or, you know, the granddaddy, uh, Fred, Fred Bush. Yeah, and then Prescott, which is his father, right. George's father, George Senior's father. Yeah. Um, of course, just missed getting put in jail by the Americans in '41 for trading with the enemy. Um, but it, it's been, you know, it, that whole story about the what I think was it Eisenhower described as the military-industrial military, complex. Yeah, military-industrial yeah. complex. So On his way out, whole, he pretty uh, much gave a warning. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, just before Kennedy died, he said he would smash the CIA into yeah. a thousand pieces. And four days later, the guy was dead in Dallas. Yeah, well, that's and, and see, it's all these little things. And, and like I said, I'm coming from an angle from listening to you over you know the last couple of weeks in preparation for this. And uh, this is why I, I guess why I view the world I view. I'm just very, very skeptical of anything. And it is, it drives me nuts because it makes me sound somewhat paranoid. I just don't know what yeah. to believe. I don't know what's Welcome fact, Bible. what's fiction, and it drives me nuts. And one one of the big problems in my world and my area of research is trying to pull all these threads together. Right. Because at the center of many of these threads post-war is Martin Bormann and the Nazis equivalent of the Fourth Reich. Except they're not wearing jackboots. They're not wearing black uniforms designed by Hugo Boss, another great company. Um, and they're not murdering industrially um, what they viewed as you know, racially inferior people. Sick, sick people, honestly. Yeah. But, I mean, Ford was one of those. Ford was a, a eugenicist. Um, well, and then he, you look at the Kellogg's, you know... The Kellogg's family, you know, they, they've got their own connections as well, you know, to the whole uh, Nazi regime. Yep. I mean, it's it's a very simple um, black and white story that we've been told is that we beat the Germans. We, well, we beat the Nazis. 
that we made sure that the Nazis could never be in power in Germany or be an influence in Germany ever again. And everybody was happy and they went along on their own happy ways after the war. Right. Um, my dad fought these these pigs. My father was a, a serious anti-fascist. Right. Uh, uh, at 18, he signed up to join the British Army three years before he was meant to in September 39 um, on the outbreak of war. Spent six years fighting them through the desert, not through Italy, badly wounded in Italy, um, and was in Brussels waiting to go into Germany when Victory Europe was announced. Um, and, you know, Dad had had a rough war. He was 24 when he came out. Um, he'd seen six years of combat. He had um, scars on his face where his best friend had been blown up next to him in a trench in a grenade explosion. Jeez. And the scars, the scars on his face were his friend's teeth where they, and bones where they cut open my father's face. Um, he carried trap, German shrapnel in him until the day he died. Yeah. Funnily enough, he never hated the Germans. But he, yeah, he hated Nazis and the vengeance. It's, um, but I've heard you say that, you know, had your dad known the nonsense behind right Hitler, he would well. be losing it, right? Uh, he'd have been looking for a rifle. Yeah, I've heard you say that. Yeah. Um, it, that whole generation, that great generation that um, many of us revere, either grandfathers or, or dads, um, you know, um, who forced fascism, um was betrayed completely at the end of the war. Totally betrayed. And it's probably, you know, how folks that have gone into Iraq, you know, if we want to make it a more contemporary uh, example, you know, the folks that went into Vietnam, the the folks that yeah, went into, into was, Iraq. Where, where were Trump and Cheney's boys in Iraq? Yeah, where was Trump in Vietnam? I mean, you know, these guys... Although I don't believe Trump is, you know, one, he's not probably not a billionaire. Um, he might be a billionaire on the negative side. He might owe a billion dollars. Um, but, you know, what a, what a coward. Yeah, it, it, and in <laughs> my opinion, they're, they're all puppets. I mean, I know it was yeah, funny you know, during this election, I had no dog in the race. I've, I've always been, you know, when it comes to social issues, I do lean towards the left. This election, I and I live in a county in Florida that is heavily right wing, heavily mm. Trump country, and I, you know, I, I can't couldn't stand Biden. I couldn't stand Trump. They were both sexual deviants with signs of dementia, in my opinion. And you know, and after studying history and and seeing all this, you know, the the whole political party thing out here in the in in the states, the Democrats and the Republicans. If you go back in history, the the Democrat Democratic Party was the ones who started the KKK. They were known. Hey, they were some, known of your best, some of your greatest presidents in terms of social advancement for normal Americans, average American Joes, were Republicans. Yeah. Well, and, but the, this isn't your the Republican Party today is not the Republican Party of yesterday. Well, the, any more than the Conservative Party in my country is anything recognizable as the Conservative Party of even 15 years ago. Um, and that, these, that's where I feel about the whole polit the whole political thing. You know, 
in in my opinion, when you look at when you trace the history, like I said, the Democratic Party did indeed start the you know the the KKK, the Dixocrats. However, what a lot of people and I hear this all the time. I watch you know the likes of Sam Sam Harris or other you know intellectuals. What never really gets brought up is that the Democrats of that time period were conservatives. The people, the slave owners, yeah. were Southern Baptists. The thing is, it's so. It's simple to name something. <laughs> this is the thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a Republican, but I'm not a Republican in any American sort of way. I'm a Republican because I don't believe we should have a royal family in this country. Yeah. I believe we should be a republic with an elected president. I did see. Um, I did see you. You know your your post on that. Uh, uh, you know, being a, a, a the royal. From an American standpoint, the whole royal thing does not make a single ounce of sense to me. Well, you got rid of them in, when you got, when you kicked George the Third out of power. You know, based on in, intellectual writings by a man called Thomas Paine, who wrote a book called The Rights of Man. Right. Yeah. And Paine, British, couldn't get the couldn't get the ideas to fly here, mm. but he got the ideas to fly in America. Um, and yeah, what. What people forget is that you bunch of colonial insurgents <laughs> at the time, which were British mainly. Right. I mean, you know, you you hadn't been there hundreds of years. They weren't. No. They weren't first families all joined together. Many of the, you know, senior Americans quotes at the time were were British and heavily supported the throne. Um, and most of the people who fought against the British government were British, maybe two generations away. So, you know, it was a, in many ways, although it's a war of independence or an insurgency, as our imperial people would have called it, um, it's not really a war of independence. It's a civil war between the English world. Canada doesn't join in. But, you know, we have a civil war and America breaks away. The United States become, comes into being. Right. But, you know, it's it's basically a British idea from Thomas Paine and various other intellectuals, also Republicans in France who had got rid of their royals in a much more effective way. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, uh, but, but, sorry, I, I can get into I can get into various historical <laughs> man. It's not real. Well, um, no, you're you're completely fine. Yeah. And, and that's my general view. I don't trust either side. I, you know, like I said, naturally speaking, uh, due to my life experiences, I think we all shape our, you know, our beliefs based on our life experiences, and you know, to what, a great extent, yeah, right. And so, you know, I've always been, you know, uh, a lefty, if you will. Nowadays, I, I call myself a center lefty. Um, I just think there's so much nonsense that can be pointed at both sides, and I legitimately believe that way nowadays. Um, I used to be completely on one side, and as I get older, I think that any extreme, um, you know, you can name any example. Any extreme will take you away from the truth. I think the truth, in gen, you know, generally speaking, is closer to the middle. Um, and yeah, so, I'm, you know, my political views are really terribly simple: be nice, be kind, and look after weaker people. Right. I mean, you know, how can you get that wrong? You can't get that wrong um, at all. Yeah, and and try not to father as many children as you possibly can by different women. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, which seems to be both America and Britain now totally accepts it. I mean, 
Um, the generation of my parents wouldn't have had Trump or Johnson at their table. Yeah, you know, my parents were Catholic, my dad a bit more liberal than my mum, but they wouldn't have had them in the house. Yeah. They'd have, their morals were so bad. And, you know, any more than my father would have had somebody who'd marched with the black shirts anywhere near him, um, which were our version of the, the fascists in the country in the 30s. Um, well, it, yeah, it, it, is, it is difficult to use in, in, you know, in, in my situation is that this this story has dominated my life now for 12 years. Right. Let, let, and let's get back to it. I know we strayed a little bit. What would you say is the biggest piece of verifiable evidence, you know, for anyone that may be out there on, you know, well, you know what, I think you may be full of BS. Uh, yeah. You know, I, 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 I'm completely on your side. I'm just playing devil's advocate at the moment. No, no, I'm, I'm all for that. And so, I mean, what, what I say to people is prove me wrong. Yeah, I've I mean, heard you say that. Prove me wrong. Just please, for God's sake, prove me wrong. So I can just go, oh, I've wasted the last 12 years. But, I mean, there you is personally no speaking, gun. if you there could have a smoking, no gun, smoking gun, what's that? There is no smoking gun. There is no smoking gun. Okay. There are thousands of bits of evidence that all come together to be um, a very large smoking cannon. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, the, the Hitler survival thing is possibly the least important of that. Right. Um, he survived, but post-war he has no influence that I can see um, from about 1948-49 on the activities of the Nazis who are still in existence, still organized, and still immensely well-funded. Um and I think what happens is that Martin Bormann realizes, because he's a clever man, he's a he's a, a criminal mastermind. Um, there's nothing nice about him. But Bormann realizes once the once the pictures come out of the camps, once the and that doesn't really happen until about forty seven, despite some of the stuff that is is on newsreels um, as Americans and Brits um, open up those camps. But once the pictures come out of the camps, once the extent of the um, the, the industrialized murder of Jewish people, homosexuals, lefties, socialists, anything they didn't like, Roma, um, gypsies, the lot. And, you know, it's not six million. It's closer to 11 or 12 million. And, yes, every blasted German knew what was going on because there were camps all over Germany. There were enslaved workers working in every factory. Germans knew. And whatever they say, however they want to wipe their collective memory, they're lying. Their parents and their grandparents knew damn well what was happening. When that material came out in 47 and started to become, you know, accepted, because to try and envisage a crime that big is really difficult, yeah. really difficult. Um and once that became real, Martin Bormann realized that you could never again have the swastika, the red and the black, the Hugo Boss smart uniforms, the jackboots. Um, you could never have that as political power again. And what he realized is, was that money makes the world go round, and they had heaps of it. So he just used it to influence economics. He used it to influence industrialization, um, and he used it to buy 
their way into a seat at the table of the people who took decisions on an international basis. Right. So although Hitler escaping is the headline, and he did, and he did die in Argentina in 62, it's not the most important thing that happens post-war. Oh, no, it's the organization called Odessa by some, although that's a CIA name made up. It's the Kameradenwerk, the Friends Network, um, the Spider's Web, the Spinny, as it's known in Germany. It's that network that is the key to what goes on post-World War II. Um, and it's that network which is behind the Cold War, believe it or not. The Nazis ran the Cold War um, with the help of Dulles and the American military-industrial complex. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was information from Nazi officers the Galen organization in West Germany, which ran um, intelligence gathering in the East, um, and the CIA gave them millions of dollars to do it. It was them who moved the focus away from Germany and its, its rebuilding to the biggest threat being the Soviet Union, which in my opinion, and the opinion of quite a few historians nowadays, was nowhere near the threat to NATO and America that was made out to be. Yes, they have nukes, but if it had been conventional warfare in Europe, they had the numbers, but they didn't have the technology or the logistics to make that work. Um, and the Galen organization, because Galen worked for Martin Bormann, who was running things, keep America, all of America's eyes, focused on the East post-war, while Germany rebuilds and becomes the most successful industrial nation in Europe. Um, and, you know, it, everybody calls that the German economic miracle. Yeah. There's nothing miraculous about it. They brought their money back from overseas yeah. with American complicity and um, rebuilt their factories And at a time when Britain and France weren't able to because we didn't have the money because we'd spent it all beating them. Gosh, as as you say that, and and I'm listening intently. It's just, I guess it's somewhat confirma confirmation bias on my end, in that there is so much nonsense that has gone on. You know, um, I I've heard your take. Uh -huh. In March this year, I was granted access to um, a huge archive from a very important Nazi, who um, worked with. Deep, worked deeply with CIA um, post-war and Mossad post-war. So some of your viewers will know the man I'm talking about. And there are um, there are 10,000 pages of documents, pictures, everything else. OSS CIA memos saying either Hitler's alive in Argentina, that Martin Bormann's on a major estancia um, in, just outside Buenos Aires, um, material that shows links to the JFK assassination, um, the Iceland kidnapping, I mean, stuff that this particular character was involved with. And, of course, I was, I was given access to this in March. I can't get at it. I'm still locked down in this country. I'm desperately waiting for a vaccine, um, which I might get my first shot at um, before the end of the year because I'm on the at-risk list. I, I had bowel cancer two years ago, a oh. major operation to um, get rid of the cancer. So I'm cancer-free. Um, it took its toll on me. 
No. Um, they opened me up from the, uh, belly to sternum and um, made a bit of a mess of the operation, really. But they got the cancer and they saved my life, so I'm not complaining too much. Right. Um, so I'm fit now. I'm getting fitter. Still fat, but I'm getting fitter. <laughs> and I'm back on the road as soon as, I'm, as soon as I've got a blasted vaccine again. Um, well, uh, so yeah, I'm I sorry. Need, need to get this archive and this archive will give definitive sourced proof to many of the things that I only have four or five documents from small characters yeah. saying that this is what actually happened. Um, this major character and his archive, um, which nobody knew existed, which is amazing, um, proves proves everything. Um, yeah. And the the dirty war that the CIA fought post World War Two, um, you know, not just in South America, Central America. I mean, some of us are old enough to remember Iran Contra and uh, yeah. well, the, know, that that Granada and the domino um, effect of that, you know, with the drug epidemic um, hitting the, you know, the the impoverished neighborhoods of America. Yeah, it's a, it's a CIA. So fund. much nonsense. I, you know, when it comes to the CIA, uh -huh. Barbie, the former colonel in the SS. Yeah. I mean, you know, paid for by the Nazis. Yeah. Paid for by the CIA. Sorry, I got those two mixed up. The the real problem I have, you. I'm sorry if I'm ranting and boring. Oh, no, I. You know what? I am known for my rants, and when <laughs> I have a guest, an awesome guest like yourself, I I keep my rants to a minimum. So if you can pick up on my ranting. By all means, <laughs> yeah, sir. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not going to rant, but for me, there are two Americas. Right. And um, there's the America that I will always love. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's Superman and um, it's JFK, although he had his problems. Um, and it's, um, yeah, it's Green Lantern. It's all those wonderful comics, books, and, you know, the American way that I was brought up believing in. This guy's in white hats and it's the Alamo and it's it's decency and it's it's ninety-five percent of every American I've ever met who are lovely people. Um and you know, I'm really fond of. Um Tim Kennedy and I, you know, we're never gonna be politically on the same page. Tim is got hundred and twenty kills to his name as a special forces sniper. You wouldn't have thought Tim Kennedy and I would get on at all. I love the man. <laughs> yeah. Captain America is one of my favorite people. Right. He is an American samurai. That's what Tim is. Yeah. But he's an intellectual as well. You know, the guy's got a postgrad um postgrad degree and um yeah, he's a decent human being. He's, he's a smart guy, and I've heard him on. Uh, he's real good friends with Joe Rogan. So yeah, I saw, I saw him on Joe Rogan. Yeah, he's been on there several times. I want to say yeah. more than twice is is what I want. And I and Joe Rogan is always talking about how they hang out and go hunting and and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are, I mean, I'm not a great um, believer in people having guns, right? Right. Um, I, yeah, I'm just not. Um, the wrong people having guns, anyway. Right. Um, and Tim is a hunter. But Tim only hunts to eat. Right, right. Like everything Tim Kennedy kills goes in his freezer. Right. Yeah, um, that's, he's very Joe Rogan-esque in that, in that he sense. He does kill poachers as well. <laughs> um, which, uh, yeah, I'm all for. I mean, Hell yeah. Tim, is, Tim is responsible for saving many an elephant yeah. in Africa. 
Yeah. Well, he also did MMA for a little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, he, he's done it all. He's a, he's a badass. I mean, no, I remember, remember, yeah, I mean, and you're being humble right now. Let me tell you something, Jared, uh, Gerard. I'm sorry that I I'm cutting you off. I would I made I wanted to make sure I touched on this point. When you when folks, if you guys are listening to this, when you guys watch the on the okay. History Channel, this is I wanted to bring this up. You. <sighs> When you watch that series, you I I didn't get a, enough of Gerard Williams, you know. Well, and, I had nothing. I just need to say, okay, I had nothing to do with the editorial right. on Hunting Hitler. I disagree with quite a lot of their findings, um, and <sighs> mainstream stuff is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, you know, you. That's why I wanted to speak with you because you are a treasure in my mind. You are willing to say, "Screw this! This is what I found," and and to you know, when I heard you on Ricky Verandas, for example, uh, I heard you on the Ricky Verandas show, and I was just floored. Then I watched the show. I finished watching the show Finding Hitler, and you are almost muted. It's like. I didn't get to hear your amazing insights into all this until I heard you on the Ricky Veranda show. And so that's, I was like, that's quite simply because I refused to do a lot of the stuff that they made up. Okay. What were things that they were making uh, up? If you don't mind telling us. Uh, just things that I could not support um, historically. And I mean, just silly things like there's a, there's a great scene of Tim doing a, a boat assault on the house at Inalco. Yeah, I saw uh, that. On the lake. Right. Now, I've been to Inalco two, three times? Three times. Um, every time I've gone in, seen the caretaker, given him 20 bucks, um, and usually a couple of packets of Haribo for his kids, and I've had pretty much free access to everything. Couldn't go inside the house, but everywhere else on the, the, the watch call, everywhere else on the property. Um, and lots of other Nazi hunters have been on that property and everything else. The way in which it was done for television purposes was Tim had to pre- Tim didn't realize he had to pretend. Yeah. Tim's not making it up. But, you know, Tim basically was in a pretend situation that he had to assault the beach by boats. I mean, special yeah. forces could do it in his sleep. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, you know if, we, if we really had a problem with the caretaker, Tim would have just knocked him out. I mean, so we didn't. But, you know, I, and I say, look, why can't we just go on to Inalco? I know the caretaker. I've met him a number of times. Oh, no, he's threatened to shoot us if we go anywhere near him. Yeah, no, he hasn't. He really hasn't. So, you know, things like that make great telly, and it's all very exciting, and it's all complete and total bollocks, as we say in Britain. Well, um, it goes along the lines of, you know, believing in the other outlandish stuff when it comes to real stuff that we have in front of us. Um, and they're just adding to it, and in my opinion, it's it's kind of done purposely to muddy the waters, uh, so nah, to speak. Well, on this series, I just don't think it was. I think it was done because there were a bunch of children running the production um, who thought that they could make it really sexy and exciting, whereas the reality of it is, is that the truth, the detail, is so sexy and exciting anyway. Yes. But you don't need to sex it up. Yes, a hundred percent agree with that. I mean, you know, there is no need to put UFOs in that Antarctica or any of that nonsense. The can, the yeah. actual stuff that we can prove is amazing in itself. There's no need to embellish any of this. No. Uh, 
But anyway, I'm, I'm hoping I'll get another um, another series, which I will have editorial control of um, once this pandemic rubbish is over. Right. And uh, despite having a bit of a wobbly um, seven or eight months and a year recovering from surgery, and I had a few other health problems, um, I'm just about to get back on track doing um, the follow-up book to Grey Wolf, which is um, called The Secret Reich. And where can um, folks get that book? Grey Wolf is available on Amazon, or if anybody wants to hit me up on Facebook, they can, Jared Williams on Facebook. Um, I'll happily send them an e-copy. Um, so e-copies e are available. Um, small contributions are really helpful to me because I don't get paid for any of this work. Right. Um, but it's Christmas, I won't be charging a great deal. So if people want a copy of the book, or if they want to see the drama documentary I made, um, which is called Grey Wolf, The Escape of Adolf Hitler, that's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. It's also on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and no, I don't make any I... money out of that either. That was stolen from me oh. um, by a bunch of administrators and a very dodgy um, distribution company in the UK um, called High Flyers, who are um, dodgy. Don't sell your film to High Flyers. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. No, I, I'll, I'll definitely put all that uh, information on the on the descriptions. Um how is your time? I, I, I do have a few more questions to ask, but it, it please, almost... please, please. are you okay? Yeah. I'm are you having I'm... fun, Mr. Williams? I don't get out very much at the moment. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Talking so, to another human being is, um, is a bit of a treat for me. Oh, I, it, you know what? The treat is mine. I, when I reached out to you, I wasn't sure what I was going to get because I do remain anonymous. Um, you know, yeah, I, I don't do many of I don't do many podcasts. I've turned down a couple recently, just because I don't like the uh, the, the presentation. Not the presentation so much. Just don't like uh, the reasons they want to do it. Right. Um, but having talked to you, you seem to be um, open to uh, open to being open. So that's no, the reason I, I, can, yeah. I, I think that's the way to go. That's the way I look at it. I, I you know, I always say there's going to be times where I say things where maybe some of the you know, the folks that subscribe to me will not agree with me or I, I, but what I tell them is that I hope they can understand that I am just being as honest as I can be. I don't want to sugarcoat anything. I'm just going to speak the way I see it. And, and I'm sure we can probably agree with many other things, but if you're going to disagree with me and, and want to leave or unsubscribe because of one thing that I, we disagree on, I frankly don't care for your subscription. You know, that's the way I look at it. Um, that and that's as frank as I can be. I mean, this chat. Have you ever heard of a fellow named Sean Atwood? Doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! And the re I'm not laughing. I'm just kind of laughing because this is a guy that's in the conspiracy world. Um, who he mostly made a name of for himself in covering uh, Jeff Epstein uh, news and whatnot. And okay, and. Uh, I always thought, you know, wow, what a way to make a living by reading secondhand material. You know, it's not his own work. He's basically reading off news articles and he's making a living off of mm -hmm. this. Well, recently he got caught up in and embroiled, I, I suppose, in a conspiracy of his own. He was messing around with a uh, prostitute, an, an escort, and uh, made her a GoFundMe account and just all kinds of shady stuff. And so... 
I, um, do... I thought that was completely acceptable in America. <laughs> it may may very well be, but I, I, I mean, mean I, isn't, isn't that isn't that one of the great moral stories that we get from President Trump? Oh yeah, it's, yeah. it's okay sex. You know what's funny is I've called I've called Sean Atwood. You know he's kind of like, you know, a lot of his base are are folks that believe in in Donald Trump and. And I've caught a lot of flack for this, and I'll probably catch a lot of flack for it right now. But I'm speaking my mind, and I'm not trying to offend you guys if you guys are Trump supporters. Hear me out. I am. (laughs) So uh, I think a lot of his base are, you know, very religious and and very on the Trump side. If you go to his comments on his videos, a lot of them are, are, you can tell. Uh, which way to think? It's always my favorites. It's like the anti-gay pastors, you know. Yeah, they get caught up being gay. I'm caught out with some gay gay prostitute. There's a a Hungarian at the moment who's a member of the European Parliament who is a member of the Hungarian fascist party, which uh, um, Orban runs the country with. And, you know, he's been an active LGBT anti-gay campaigner for ages. He just got caught during the middle of a pandemic (laughs) at a gay house party with his trousers down. You have to jump through the window. You have to resolve <laughs> now. You know, what is wrong with and, these And people? this happens all the freaking time. It's all these hypocrites. Well, and this this guy is essentially, this is what happened, you know. Um, and so that's how my YouTube channel started essentially growing. I, I started covering. And a lot of people were accusing me, oh, is this all you're going to focus on? No, absolutely not. I want to cover huh. um, a variety of different topics. I'm interested. The world is a huge place. There's so yep. many things uh, to be interested in, and uh, and so you know when I reached out to you, I was I can't thank you enough. I wasn't sure it was a roll of the dice. I, I know people are very skeptical of people that are anonymous online, if you will. But it's you know the reason I'm anonymous is just because of the nature, uh, you know the matter, you know the the stuff I copy or cover on my Your on my channel. Your choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. One day, one day you'll come out. Zeus. Yeah. One day you will. Maybe, and people will <laughs> um, be surprised. They'll, they'll, uh, you know, I get a lot of pe- people wondering, trying to guess of, you know, put a face to the voice, if you will. <laughs> but uh, I'll let them have their imaginations going. You know, when I um when I first started doing the story, and it first started to become public, and you know, I was interviewed on Sky News in this country and by Sir David Frost. Um, on Al Jazeera, um, and David was convinced that I was right. Yeah. Um, God rest his soul. <laughs> you know, a lot of my friends and contemporaries in journalism went, "You idiot! What have you done? All those years of being, you know, seen as a, a proper international television newsman, and um, now, you know, you you're just a conspiracy theory nutter." And I said, "Read the book." Yeah, it's as simple as that. Prove me wrong. Um, I don't do conspiracy theories. I have never come across a conspiracy theory that doesn't fall over very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, and some conspiracies are not theories. They're based on fact. Yes, sir. Um, 100%. You know, and it's, the problem is, is that there are all these theorists and commentators out there who make a living out of obscuring the facts. Well, sensationalism, yeah. it's, it's, it's no different than, you know, in the journalistic world, you know, these bold headlines, yeah. uh, clickbait. Is, is it's, is it's not 
the journalistic world for me or for um no i'm not including you i'm just you know know, know generalizing but um i i you have worked with some of the biggest most respected news organizations in the world right can you Um, name them i i know you said that at the the beginning bbc reuters Reuters. yes um worked for associated press television um i have worked for sky news which isn't like fox news at all there's no interference in sky news i worked under an amazing um foreign editor and editor at sky they didn't get any interference in what we covered at all none um and i now watch sky instead of watching the bbc which i now find biased and poor and shoddy uh in a way that it never was before and i also have difficulty now with reuters as a source of information because they have a whole commentary team yeah well that's not what you're there for you're there for who why what where and when you're there to give people the facts so they can make their own minds up about things you're not there Tell them what to think. You know that, and that that's one reason you know? that I reached out to you. I, I found you extremely credible. Uh, the way you go about things and you wanting oh, facts yeah. before any of the sensationalism or any of that nonsense. You want facts. You want to prove what you say. And this is what really intrigued me. And the fact mm-hmm. that you have been working for these major outlets. And and given all the spotlight that you have received over the years, your humility, it, you know, well, well, it, it really struck me. And, you know, I, I, I became a fanboy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I view okay, you my, as my a global treasure. Family will tell you I'm not that humble. Well, um, you I'll know, I'm, I'm not a religious person, but I'm noticing this now as my podcast grows. A prophet is nobody in their own land. It's funny how yeah. you know other people seem to appreciate I'm your work. I'm just going to tell people what I have found out. And, you know, there are 83 pages of notes at the back of Grey Wolf. Everything is sourced. 83 pages, Holy I think. Shit. Is it that many? I mean, holy smokes, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's I, all right. I try- so there, there's, there's page after page after page after page after page yeah. of reference back to what is said within the book. Yes. Um I had went through the most incredibly thorough um, interrogatory editorial process with the, the most marvelous editor at, at Sterling Publishing, um, who were owned by Barnes & Noble at the time. I think they still are. Uh, I'm still in contact with my editor. and She's one of the most clever people I've ever met. Um, <clears throat> and Sterling published Grey Wolf as history. You know, that was the category it was published in. It wasn't published in conspiracy or fiction or anything else. Um, a very gutsy editor at Sterling said, nope, this is history. This is, you know, look at the pages of reference in the back. And I do find it, I, I do sometimes wonder why the hell I'm doing it or why the hell I ever did it. Because, you know, you take an awful lot of flack for this. And I'm not Joe Rogan. I'm not making a fortune out of um, out of my, my views. Um, in fact, I'm you know, what I describe nowadays is impoverished, yeah. um, as opposed to what I used to be when I was a working television journalist. Um, I make no money out of this, no money that makes any sense anyway. And it still isn't important to me. I, I do it because it needs to be done. Yes. And that's a really weird motivation for me. And, you know, it's, it's cost me relationships and it's cost me lots of things. 
Um, but I can't stop it. I have considered stopping it. I have considered, you know, I'll sod it, let people find out for themselves. But the reality is, is that the truth is a terribly important thing. Yes. And I can present the facts on the Nazis post-war and the you know, involvement with some of the worst corporations and intelligence agencies that we've ever known on this planet um, and religious groups like the Vatican. Yeah. And I can get, I can hopefully get people to look at this material and make up their own mind. Yes. You know, one of the subheadings on Grey Wolf, which is Grey Wolf, the escape of Adolf Hitler, the case presented, is the last subtitle on, on, the, um, on the heading for the book. Yeah. And that's what we did. We presented the case. And every time I come on um, a podcast like yours, or I publish new information or whatever, I publish material that is factually sourced. Yes. You know, this is material that I have not made up. No. Um, I wish I had. I mean, I wish I'd, you know, wish I'd just written stuff about the Antarctic and Nazi bases on the moon and um, the bell, you know, this time-traveling machine that they, they invented, which they didn't invent. No. Um, you know, Fantastic they invented stuff. some really dangerous things, you know. Yeah. They were doing sonic death rays before you guys were using them on the streets. Yeah. I mean, you know. Well, the, the whole eugenicist stuff, you know. Uh, well, the eugenicist stuff. stuff actually started in America, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, uh, you, you can go back to people like Thomas Malthus and Malthusian economics and, you know, the fact that this this world only has room for a billion people. Yeah. Um, and that, there are some very strange ideas out there. Um and they've been around a long time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, people will come. I, I get quite a lot of people who want me to believe that not just the Nazis were the worst criminal gang in the 20th century. Uh, Stalin gave them a run for their money, uh, and so did Mao in China. But they're the ones that we think of mainly, I think, because... Um, do you know, I think because they had better uniforms than everybody else, yeah. <laughs> so they're more, more visually acceptable. Um, but people, you know, come at me and say, yeah, but, Jared, you know, there's there's the Illuminati's behind this. No, yeah. no it isn't. Um, yeah. The lizard people are behind this. The royal family are <laughs> lizards. No, they're not. They're just really clever parasites, but there's nothing lizardish about them. Um, you know, the, the way there I view is it, a deep it... Space yeah, uh, you know, there, well, I but, just think it's human nature that, you know... <laughs> no, we believed in God and Jesus Christ and Muhammad, for, although Muhammad doesn't say he's the son of God. Um, we believed in all these things, you know, that they're fairy stories but, told to children so that people can control them. Yes, there's. You, that's, that's why if you look at my about page on my channel, and I've had this from the very beginning, so that I wouldn't deceive people. You know, this is me being transparent. And again, this is not to disparage anyone of faith, but I make the connection between religion and government. They have both existed for as long as we've had civilizations, essentially. It's a, and, it's a medieval form. Religion is a medieval form of government. Yeah, and, and, and they both feed nonsense to the masses that the masses, for the most part, will buy into. And that's how you keep control over the masses. And then you have these <laughs> stupid little let me, games. Let me tell you uh -huh. Quick story. 
Um, I was in St. Peter's in Rome about 10 years ago, and I'd never been to Rome. And I was brought up a Roman Catholic. Um, so but, was I. You know, left, <laughs> I'm Mexican-American, so that's a staple. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, 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 my mum was very um, rigidly Catholic. Um, anyway, so I'm in St. Peter's in Rome, and I am in awe. That's how I feel. I look around, and there's gold everywhere, and diamond-encrusted oh. saints, and there's huge basilica yeah. and you know there is more money and power in that one little city state than there is in many many countries oh, and i looked at it and i'm in i'm just in awe and i'm scared and i'm disgusted at how much money the church has and how much poverty there is in the world and yeah. I'm, I'm getting angrier and angrier as i as i walk through this i've, I've still reached for the uh for the holy water to bless yeah, myself as i go in there <laughs> <laughs> just, just, uh, just reflex actions. And I'm there with my, my then wife, um, and she hasn't been brought up religiously at all. And um, so she doesn't have this sort of visceral. Right. <laughs> She's pretty impressed by the whole thing. She's incredibly impressed by Michelangelo and the Sistine Chapel and things like that. I mean, she is a, a girl with, a, with an eye for art and form and figure and, and things like that. And as we're in the middle of St. Peter's, she calls me over and she goes, Jack, Jack, quick, you've got to come and see this, got to come and see this. And I'm thinking, oh, she's found something else that's going to make me really angry. So she takes me over into one of the side chapels and there's a, a tomb there and there's a Virgin Mary and there's a pornographic, to me, vision of Christ crucified and there's blood and he's got a spear in his stomach and, oh, hate it, crown of thorns. And she says, look, look over there. So I look over there and she says, see that marble? And I go, yeah. And she says, that's what I want in our next kitchen. <laughs> Damn. I was in love with that girl for a long time. I mean, uh. That's the difference between somebody who hasn't been brought up yeah. and indoctrinated. And, and, into it. Yeah, no, I, I completely get where you're coming from. I mean, you know, when I started falling out, I, I was raised Catholic as well. And all the child molestation started coming out with the priests and getting moved around and paying all these settlements. So, you know, I was still Catholic and I was still going to church. But every time I put some freaking money on that tray, I was, my mind as, you know, I've always been inquisitive. I've always questioned things. And I started, you know, I put a dollar on that little tray. And I go, where the hell is this money going for? Is this going for the lawyers that are going to defend these pedophilic priests? And that was my yeah. the beginning of my strain away. And, you know, the way I look you at know, it now. Uh -huh. The Vatican still has the best intelligence service in the world. Oh, absolutely. The Their involvement in the Nazi regime gets downplayed so freaking uh, much. I mean, there, were, there was this – it's not the church – it's the courier, it's the government in the Vatican right. that's involved with the Nazis. And they do it because the Nazis, they see as some sort of Teutonic Knights of Christ, right? They, they massacre Jews, and Jews are known as Christ killers, um, despite the fact the Romans did it. Yeah. <laughs> and they, yeah. Are killing, they are killing godless communists. Yeah. And that makes them good people yeah. in the views of the curia, the government 
in the Vatican at the time and pious just to let it all happen, the, yeah. the Pope at the time. And material will come out in the next three years that prove pious knew all about the Holocaust and everything else. Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Vatican, the Vatican under Francis, who seems to be an okay guy for a Pope, no. um, are opening up their some of their archives. They'll never open up all of them. No. Um, because that would destroy their church. But they will open up some of them. And um, some of the truth will start to eke out. But that's the problem with, with big lies, like the paedophilia scandal in the church or other scandals that the church has been Which is a in conspiracy, essentially. I mean, that's what a conspiracy is when, when people, when two or more conspire, you know, get together and do these yeah. things. And this is the whole pedophilia in within the catholic church is a conspiracy within itself because they were shuffling around priests that should have been locked out and in my opinion if you harm a child maybe this is harsh in your opinion uh if you harm a child and there is a hundred percent evidence behind you touching a child you deserve the death penalty that's just the way i look at it yep, personally I'm, I'm not a dad i'm a dad what can i say yeah i mean uh, i have no time no um understanding of i can understand or accept i do understand and accept almost every aspect of grown-up sexuality between people right. but sexuality with a child no is is just it's it's um there's no there's no breathing space uh, for those kind of people you know no it's abuse beyond beyond any sort of morality yep. at all um and so, yeah. Anyway, there's no redemption um, in my in my eyes. The way I personally look at, no. maybe there's people that are like, well, you know, Jesus can forgive you for touching a child. Well, I don't believe in that stuff. And uh, and, and uh, if you you you're out of here, you don't need to breathe in my air. Get out of here. That's the way I look at it. You no. know. I mean, sorry, we we are drifting, but I mean, <laughs> the church. Is, it's a great conversation. <laughs> but the church is is so responsible for the um, rise, no, responsible is the wrong word. It is so, for a while it stands back in, in Germany and does nothing. Right. Then quite a lot of the bishops in Germany don't say anything when they know what's happening to the Jews. And then quite a lot of them take um, you know, nice rewards from oh, the Nazi yeah, party. Yeah, yeah. And then after the war, I don't know whether, whether the, some of them buy their way out, but I don't think the church is interested in the money. Why would it? It's one of the richest things in the whole world on the planet. Um, but it's it's uh, drives me insane sometimes. <laughs> at the core, of, why is it driving you all, insane, uh, Mr. Williams? It's just that at the core of all this is belief. Right. Okay, if you're Nazi, you have intense beliefs in things. You believe and you take an oath to the Fuhrer that you will defend him to the death. Right. Not his death, your death. Um, if you're a... people believed in things in those days, back in the twenties and thirties, that I don't think we had done until recently, in the last five years maybe. And then you see cults, which is the only way I can describe the people who support that immoral person, Donald Trump. You see a cult come up, a personality cult arise from 
what's meant to be a grown-up democratic nation. And then you see it mirrored in places like Hungary or urban. And you see it to a certain extent here with the buffoon that is the prime minister and his eaten, educated lapdogs that he has working with him. And people do seem to now be believing in things, despite the fact that, I don't know, maybe they're finding comfort in them. Like we have this Brexit thing going on in Britain, you know, where people believed that Britain will be better off on its own in the modern world than being part of a European family. By the end of this year, I will no longer be able to live, work, um, and travel to 27 countries that I was up until last year. I lived in France for six years. Nobody ever said a word. But I can't do that anymore because people believed, a certain part of this country believed, that we're better off without those rights. Insane. Just insanity. Well, but the... belief seems to be a, a, a comeback, you know, like it did with the Nazis, um, like it did with radical Catholicism. Belief seems to be making a comeback because it's easier. Well, and and it, 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 in my opinion, it affects both sides. I mean, I was a big believer in Barack Obama. I will say that. And, you know, he was a great speaker. I, I will still stand by he was a great speaker, very charismatic. But there's a lot of things that he did that, in retrospect, I now I'm like, wow. You know, the whole war on Yemen that Trump continued but it actually started through the Obama administration. And then the yeah, dr listen, the you know, drone Obama, strikes. Obama sanctioned, I was going to say drone strikes. Yeah. Obama sanctioned strikes all over the place. I mean... Everywhere. I, 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 he, he had great PR. Oh, and yeah. And I much preferred him to the guy who went before and the guy who followed him. I did, um, but do you see what I'm saying? It, to me, it's all... At the end of the day, yeah, I, I agree. Obama... PR-wise, was, you know, easier on the ears, on the eyes, whatever you want to say. Great speaker. And he was but it, it's, all this, it's all the same nonsense at the end of the day. Well, I don't know. I think some people get into politics because they're decent. Um, but most politicians don't get in. I've well, the... met very few internationally over the years. Yeah. I have met very few decent human beings who are politicians. Um, and even the ones who were decent to start with um, ended up being horrible. Um, it, people it, I interviewed who later became horrible dictators. Well, um, that's the thing. I think you know. There's a saying that says power corrupts, and I think that yeah. that applies yeah. everywhere. It, it doesn't matter if you're a small little, you know, car dealership or uh, you know you're going a little bit bigger. It, this applies everywhere. P power corrupts. Yeah, the and as soon as thing is, Nazis, is they were really corrupt before they even started. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, their sons and grandsons still control some of the greatest fortunes in the world. Oh, absolutely. And they don't use them. And there is no way that Germany is anything but a sensible grown-up democratic nation nowadays. Um, but the foundations of modern Germany have nothing to do with sensible grown-up democracy. <laughs> They're about, you know, ex-Nazis who came home with their pockets full of cash um, and the Americans who turned a blind eye to it so that they could uh, uh, make money, basically. I mean, 
for instance, the German steelmaking was restarted in the 50s to supply decent armor plating for American tanks in Korea. Right. Yeah. You know, how do how do I wrap all these all these wide things into a book that will make sense to a normal reader who hasn't spent 12 years looking at it? I mean, you know, I sometimes look at I've got I don't know 30,000 files on on my desktop. No. Um, of which 15,000 are relevant. <laughs> um, how do I wrap all those in? I now think I have a way with this archive that I'm hopefully I will get at um, in, well, sometime in 2021, finally. Um, but it is difficult because trying to distill information and knowledge to something that is truth can take you in people's minds into the area of becoming a conspiracy theorist or a dogmatic believer in something. Um, and that's a battle. It would be so much easier to present this as um, fiction, right? I, I write World War II fiction as well. Yeah. Uh, I've got a couple of novels published. And um, <clears throat> the reason I started writing them was because in my books, I get to kill Nazis. <laughs> Lots of them. Yeah. In every possible way. Yeah. And it was a real outlet for, um, you know, for doing the work I was doing. Thinking, right. I mean, there's a guy who, a man called uh, Ludolf von Albensleben, who's an SS general. He's an aide-de-camp aide to um, Himmler. And as the war opens in 39, when the uh, Germans move into the half of Poland that they've agreed to take over, so the Soviets can have the other half um, in the Blood and Steel Pact. Um, von Albensleben is responsible for the deaths of something like 12,000 Polish intellectuals in the first three or four weeks of that campaign. They know who they are, they go to their houses, they take them out and they execute them all. And von Albensleben, at the end of the war, turns up in Argentina, and becomes a fisheries minister under Peron. Um, everybody knows who he is. He's a war criminal. But he's not a war criminal in Argentina because he's really good at logistics. The fact that he and um, Adolf Eichmann are searching for uranium in Argentina to power the fourth strikes nuclear program is something completely separate. But von Albensleben dies of old age in Argentina. I've seen his gravestone and um, his family is still there. And yet, you never hear the name von Albensleben. I mean, he's directly responsible for the deaths of 12,000 people. Yeah. And um, after the war, there's not even... Uh oh did I lose you? Adolf Hitler never, never appears at Nuremberg. Even in absentia, he doesn't... He's not even discussed at Nuremberg. There's never a charge brought against Adolf Hitler, despite the fact there's no proof in that, at the time that Nuremberg happens that he's dead. Martin Bormann is tried in absentia at Nuremberg, despite the fact that there is proof, quotes again, that Bormann is dead in Berlin. But not according to Nuremberg. They, um, they try him in absentia and find him guilty of crimes against humanity. Adolf Hitler, never. Well, why not? Is there some sort of deal done to say, look, you know, we won't eat, he's dead, don't worry about it, we won't do anything about it. But, you know, Hitler is not guilty, apart from in our view, of anything, because he's never been put on trial in absentia. Yeah. And that 
that's just another one of these weird why the hell is that possible i mean one american um senator or congressman i can't remember now um offered a one million dollar reward uh in 1945 for um proof that Adolf Hitler was dead um as far as I know that money's still around I wish I could find it yeah I would sort out a few financial problems so much so much shady stuff have you ever heard of someone uh uh named James Corbett James Corbett no okay he he's a I guess you can you know people would call him a conspiracy theorist um you know People have likened him to Alex Jones wrongly, in my opinion, you know, to an Alex Jones type. James Corbett, the reason I follow him, he's a very, you know, I would say if we were to have him on the show, and I'm going to try to get him on my show, he's an mm -hmm. intellectual, very intelligent guy. His documentaries that he's done on JFK, um, even on 9-11, if I know you said you haven't really looked into 9-11, I would strongly encourage you to... No. I haven't got the time. Well, you know, he his the they're is, ten minutes long. They're not very long. What I can't do, yeah, is go into the areas that other people are going into because even though I'm being I've been called a conspiracy theorist, I'm not part of that world. I understand you, and and the... and you know, so I I ignore the other things that are out there. What, do you have you heard of Operation Mockingbird? No, not okay. Operate. The reason this is important is is touching on what you're saying right now. Operation Mockingbird uh, was an invention by the CIA to essentially anyone who questioned the JFK assassination to label them as conspiracy theorists. Yeah. That way, anyone, um, if you if you were out in public and you said, you know what, I there's something fishy about going that, you were essentially instructed to, you know, label them as conspiracy theorists. And that label has stuck for decades upon decades. And so anytime you bring up an alternative view to something, as soon as someone calls you a conspiracy theorist, you're labeled as someone that believes in lizard people or aliens uh, living in your basement and, and just the wildest, absolute nonsense. And I, you know, I, I don't believe it was the whole of the CIA. I just think it's a CIA within the CIA. I mean, um, it's funny, your FBI, which used to be um, up until about 46, maybe later, was responsible for intelligence gathering overseas because the CIA didn't exist and OSS had been disbanded at the end of the war. J. Edgar Hoover still had responsibility for um, international intelligence gathering. So it's there are some very interesting FBI files. There are some which complete nonsense as well um, about Hitler and Nazis in Argentina and Latin America. They're good basic source material, but they're not. They don't tell the whole story right. because the whole story is in the files that haven't been released, just like the ones in the British um, Library of Q, which have just been in the last couple of years stamped top secret for the next 50 years. So they'll outlast me. A lot. <laughs> um, so, but it's somehow there's a powerful segment within society generally that does manage to do things like label a JFK investigation conspiracy theory, UFOs and aliens. Oh, don't even get me started. I mean, you know, some of that 
footage cannot be faked. Yeah. So anyway, even, even your Navy says it wasn't faked. Well, now. General Fravor, he's been on uh, Joe Rogan and Alex Friedman podcast, uh, you know, and he sounds like a legitimate. That's that's a whole nother can of worms, though. <laughs> lot of, well, yeah, it is completely. Then it's a can of lizards in lots of ways. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's not the Illuminati. These people are not internationally organized. They're not all. Funded by George Soros and chipped by Bill Gates. They're just not. What happens is they come together at times when their interests overlap. Yeah. So you have people like Dick Cheney. And well, Bilderberg, Bilderberg uh, Group, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? Bilderberg is real. Um, and to a certain extent, if anything is what people would like to think of as an international operation that enables people to come together and those people whose areas of interest overlap are then able to make contacts and work together yes Bilderberg is like that god knows it was set up by an ex-nazi anyway there's no such thing as an ex-nazi yeah Bilderberg you know? is, a, is a very German name <laughs> you yeah, know it's, it's Prince um, what you call it the Netherlands um, Queen Wilhelmina's husband who was an SS officer and then became the prince consort, the, uh, what is it, Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands, um, whose family members are the people who Hitler went and stayed with in Argentina. And, you know, Bernhard's daughter, or is it his granddaughter, is married to one of the Junta um, sons in Argentina, and they own huge tracts of land near Bariloche. It's all very linked in and complicated. And Bernhard saw the opportunity to create... Not he also created the World Wildlife Fund, really strange, um, to create Bilderberg as a talking shop for people of um, interest and economic clout and political clout to come together and, and chat. Davos, I believe, the economic forum of Davos, which I've covered um, as a journalist, serves the same purpose. People who are of interest to other people get the chance to actually meet, make contact, and then proceed with their uh, very often um, nefarious plans. But it's not formalized in my research. I haven't found any evidence that it is formalized under a title like the Illuminati or, you know, or lizards. Um, <laughs> but there are some very important people um, who are able to sway public opinion and use their economic clout to have things happen. Um, well, the, you know, uh, you know, the Nazis had the economic clout and the contacts to make that happen post-war. Right. Um, you know, when I find out things like the governor of the Bank of England and the governor of the German Nazi state bank, the Reichsbank, um, during World War II would meet regularly in, in Switzerland at the Bank of International yeah. Settlement. So there's a great book called The Tower of um, Basel. Um by a, a British journalist, which looks into this in a great detail. But, you know, I later find out that um, the British Bank of England governor and Helmut Schacht, um, the German Reichsbank governor, had been gay lovers no. before the war and after the war. And, you know, about seven or eight years ago, I was offered their letters um, for $20,000. You know, love letters between the two most senior <laughs> economic advisors to the British Empire and the Nazi Empire. Yeah. 
um, who were more than friends. Um, I have no problems with them being gay or lovers. I have a real problem with the Nazis and the British Empire talking to each other. While the hypocrisy, dad, in other words. They were getting, you know, blood on blood and mud and guts and whatever. And, yeah. um, yeah, so. Hip, the hypocrisy uh, of it all, you know, it's, it's you but know, it seems. We cannot become immune to it. Yeah. We cannot become immune to it. Um, you know, we have, it, it's difficult when you have, you know, people in need of psychiatric help like QAnon out there, or we have leaders who um, have the morals of, oh, not even people who live in trailer parks, for God's sake. I mean, Trump is the most immoral person at any level of morality that you can think of in the number of wives he's had, the number of sexual conquests he's had, the number of um, rape and... Ponzi sexual... schemes. <laughs> you oh, know, Trump, the Trump University nonsense. Yeah. There's, yeah, it, there's so much. I... In this country with Boris Johnson, you know, he's living in number 10 with his girlfriend who's just given birth to their illegitimate child. They're both Catholics. Yeah. How can they be Catholic? <laughs> There's special rules, you know. You know, this, this, you know, you being from the UK, uh, let's touch a little bit. I, I, you know, in all the podcasts that I've listened to, I haven't really um, heard your take on the whole Jeff Epstein deal. Uh, what are your uh, thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's it's obviously dirtier and um, more complex than than anybody ever yes, thought. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, I first heard of Jeff Epstein. Is Lane Maxwell. Um, well, the thing was, is, the senior Mossad agent Robert Maxwell. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, Les uh, Wexner, you know the the owner of Victoria's Secrets. Um, yeah. You know, one of the most puzzling things you had the Me Too movement going after people, and I believe it started out in the right place, in the right direction. However. As soon as I see, you know, I saw that the Me Too movement wasn't touching Lex Wexner, I started scratching my head. I'm like, what the hell is going on? This guy was friends with Jeff Epstein, bought, gave him a $70 million mansion in New York, gave it to him, didn't sell it to him, gave it to him, was real good friends, was his mentor, and no one is boycotting Victoria's Secrets? What the yeah, hell is going cool. on here? Epstein's doing is supplying him with fresh meat. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, we'll never know. We'll never know really what happened because the contact book that Epstein had, the names in that contact book. Oh, the little book, book from Bill Clinton to Donald Trump. All those guys yeah. were named in it. All the way through to that disgusting creature, Andrew. Um, I won't call him prince or queen. I mean, yeah. God. Yeah. But, you know, um, and how how ridiculous is it that this guy, because he's a royal, it, it almost seems like he's untouchable in all this yeah. nonsense. Because yes. he's a, because of his DNA? Are you freaking kidding me? That does not make sense in my American he's mind. He's completely untouchable. You'll never get him anywhere or yeah. for anything. He is completely untouchable. Well, let me ask you this. I, I know we're we're touching on a two hours, and I'm I could go on <laughs> for another two hours. It seems like we've only been speaking uh, for five uh, minutes. Uh, I seem to have been rather um, taken away from my main area of um, research and study. And so um, I'd like your audience to forgive me for my 
being opinionated. Oh, they'll but, they'll be fine. You know, the uh, stuff I'm bringing up right now, they're gonna love. <laughs> I will say one thing. Yeah. Enough is enough for anybody who is decent anymore. It's no longer good enough to make fun of people like Trump and Boris Johnson. It's no longer enough to make fun of the people who are stamping on LGBT rights in Poland. It's no longer enough to think that somebody like Viktor Orban in Hungary is um, is anything but a detour in history. People have to stand up and say these people are wrong. These people are morally decrepit. These people do not have our best interests as a general population at heart. And it's not enough to make fun of them anymore, like Saturday Night Live did in America, spitting image do here. It's not enough. We have to call these people out. We have to call these people out for the immoral scum that they are. Because there were people in the 30s who were doing this about Nazis and um, the growth of the right Mussolini in Italy um, or many, many leaders across Europe um, who were fascist, Franco in Spain, were calling them out. And it snuck up on us. The next thing we know, the world is at war. So when we see people who are morally decrepit, we must say it. Because if history teaches us anything, it's we forget too quickly. And okay, Mr. Trump and Mr. Johnson haven't industrially murdered 11 million people. And you kind of compare them to Adolf Hitler. But they have taught a different generation that it's okay to cheat on your wife. You'll still get on in public office. It's okay to lie all the time um, in both Trump and Johnson's case. And you will get on in public office and people will respect you. Um, not that anybody will respect your ex-president now around <laughs> the world. But no, I, and, you know, you know and, I, and I find myself in a hard position right now because I absolutely abhor Trump. At the same time, Biden is no far from no. an angel. Because you look at uh, Kamala Harris, who is really you know, the person who they want to put in office, let's, you know, being honest, Biden is losing his mind. Um, You know, all the stuff he has said on, on the camera regarding African-American folks. Why isn't he retired? You know, what is is it with America? It's like waking at Bernie's essentially, you know, they're just propping him up and Kamala Harris who, and Kamala Harris, let's, you know, getting back to a little bit of the conspiratorial thing. One of the very little known facts of Kamala Harris is that, you know, in order to keep her unblemished, amazing record as a prosecutor in California, she pretty much put a lot of potentially innocent people behind bars and and denied any appeals or any of that stuff. One of those cases being the RFK investig the opening of the RFK investigation. Uh, did you know that, Mr. Williams? Oh. I didn't. Yes, she. As I say, it's, she, not area, it's not an area I've thoroughly researched. No, and and this is, I dabble in all this stuff because it fascinates me. It 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 gets my mind going. But you know when I you know I I'm a lefty myself. But when I see my lefty, oh Kamala Harris, how amazing she's amazing in this. Like, did you realize she has been guilty in putting a lot of these people behind bars that were actually innocent, just so that she can 
maintain that perfect a good record. Very, yeah. record of a po- prosecutor. I mean, she, I, I really don't know enough about yeah. American, the, the ins and outs of American politics. All I will say is it'll be nice to see somebody with a dog in the White House. Um, no, I was going to be really rude then. But it was nice to see a dog owner back in the White House because dogs can tell things about people. And um, I think it's it's very um, telling that Mr. Trump never had a canine dog on his staff, although he did seem to have quite a few who he kept on a leash. <laughs> <laughs> I think they all do at the end of the day, you know, like I know I can't stand Trump, but now that I in in retrospect, it, to me, you ever hear of the the term of divide and conquer? Yeah, it's in in after reading Orwell's uh, amazing book, a book he wrote 60 years ago, um, you know, it, it to me at least, it just all adds up and it all makes sense. That it's all nonsense. This whole double speak, uh, it's all a game. It's it's like WrestleMania, and I hate saying it. I wish, like you said earlier, I wish none of this was true. Um, I wish I was just making you know blowing smoke. But when you see it, when you realize that the Democrats and the Republicans switched ideologies. Um, you know, for the major political parties to switch ideologies, how the hell does that happen? I can see if a person changes their way of thinking, you know, due to life experiences or growth. But for parties to do that, it is insane. And, and to me, yeah. to me, it's a smoking gun in, in that it's all a giant game. And I hate to, you know, and you may not very well not agree with what I'm saying. This is just my evolution, that, you know, as in my journey of life is how I see things. I think they're both full of shit. Excuse my language, but you know, that's where I'm at these days. I'm confused. I'm paranoid. <laughs> I don't know what to believe. I don't know what's true. What's fiction. And which is, why I must admit, I find myself focusing on a specific area of research that, so I don't get angry at everything. Right. <laughs> um, because God knows there's enough going on in this world at the moment that is, enough to make everybody angry. I mean, I never thought in my lifetime I would see food banks in the United Kingdom and hungry children um, were the sixth or seventh richest country in the world. Right. And um, we have people going hungry here. It's just yeah. beyond me. Yeah. Beyond, at least we still have a very good health system, um, even if it has been abused by our current um, leaders. We do have um, universal health care, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good, I think. And that's not a terribly socialist thing to think. That's just a human thing to think. You know, people shouldn't have to mortgage their houses to uh, to uh, get better. That's just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, do you, I do feel like I've um, I overstepped the area of my expertise oh this was fun though you know what yeah. i i kind of purposely did this um and i should have said that uh be- no, beforehand i just I, I, I didn't want to have you know i've listened maybe this could have been the reason i i've listened to many of your you know interviews you've had and i didn't want it to be an, just another gerard williams i wanted i genuinely wanted your opinions and and thoughts on on a lot of these other questions you know and so I think oh, they, don't, they don't necessarily shape my work. I hope they don't anyway. No, no, uh, no, no. Your work is amazing. 
if any of your listeners want to, um, I do, um, I do interact with um, interested people um, about my work. I can't go into a huge amount of detail. I get a lot of questions asked me. I would say to people, you got a you new want... video coming out, right? A new movie? Um, or no, a new not, book? Um, no, not at the moment either. I mean, this year and uh, previously recovering from my operation has put me a couple of years behind. Right. But um, th there will be new material. There will be new material. Um, however, a lot of, you know, a lot of what I do, I like to walk the ground. And at the moment, the furthest I can walk is to my local supermarket. Um, so, yeah, there are places I need to go. And people I need to talk to, and documents I need to see, all of which this pandemic hasn't enabled me to do. Um, but given a fair wind and a decent vaccine, uh, 2021 is looking much brighter than it was. But if people want to hit me up on Facebook, um, please do. Um, I can't promise I'll talk to everybody. Um, I would <laughs> ask that if you do want to talk to me on Facebook, please ask me for a copy of the book or read the book first. Um, Grey Wolf will answer many of your questions before you ask me them. And then I feel that we're talking from um, hopefully what will be a more level playing ground. Um, but, Zeus, I'd like to thank you very much for having me on. Mr. Um, Williams. It's been a pleasure. Oh, I I can't thank you enough. I mean this, you know, I'm being as, as sincere as I can be. You know, I'm... I look at what's going on in the last couple of months. This channel has been growing. I'm just a kid that grew up in the in the ghettos, if you want, if you will, and uh, I've self-educated myself in a lot of these things. And I may be wrong in a lot of my ways of thinking, and I'm willing to admit that. But to have the opportunity to speak with someone uh, with a resume such as yourself, I truly, sincerely uh, can't thank you enough for giving me the well, time of day. You're, you're very, you're very kind. This would have been fun over a. Oh, I don't drink anymore, over a bottle of wine and <laughs> a good dinner somewhere. But, um, yeah, maybe we'd have to get Ricky in to um, moderate things. He's a good, good guy. Oh, I, uh, I, love, I would love a three-way conversation with Ricky. That's, that's my buddy right there. And he, uh, he pretty much facilitated, facilitated a lot of this, you know. I was able to yeah. name drop him. <laughs> that that maybe fun. lent him a little credibility, you know. I think, um, I, think I was one of Ricky's first-ish um, interviewees on his um, on his podcast, and then went back six seven years later, right, to do it. So, uh, yeah, we both moved on. We both moved on. Mr. Gerard Williams, I can't thank you enough. And I mean, if down the road you want to definitely come on in, I would love to speak with you again. Uh, this was extremely enlightening. I I hope for every anyone listening to this, this you know, especially the Hitler stuff that we covered. Um, is eye-opening, gives you a makes you take a second look at to what uh, we have been told over the years, and it's all in huge part to the works <clears throat> of the likes of Mr. Williams here. So you're very kind. You're very. Kind. I'm not trying to be kind. I'm trying to be <laughs> factual <laughs> and honest, and I truly mean that. I'm not. I'm not trying to kiss butt. Hey, send money. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. I'm gonna get your ebook, and you know, I don't. I'm not. I'm a working man. There's people that that like to say that I I exaggerate the hours I work, so I won't even say the hours I work anymore because people are. There's conspiracy theorists, if you will, on even on me. You're, you're, you're still a kid, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So uh, yeah. But you, I I will get your ebook and I will throw in my donation 
Mr. Uh, Mr. You're Williams. very kind. You're very kind. No, you absolutely deserve it. Your work is amazing. Um, there's lots of loves uh, coming your way on the in the comment section. So I can't thank you enough for this. So down the road, um, if there's any new developments, you've got any new works, my door will always be open oh. to you. And I Talk to me about that time because um, the material from this archive that I hope I will be able to travel to and um, and start ingesting, um, I think will blow the lid on what really happened after World War II because what really happened after World War II is not what we were told. Right. No, I I completely agree with you there. Um, your your insights into this are just amazing and that's why i call you a treasure i i'm not trying to make you blush mr williams there's, um, there's a couple of couple of jokes use which are one you should never say to a woman that she looks like a million dollars because it could mean that she was really green and crinkly <laughs> and the other thing you should never really say to somebody is you're a treasure because other people will ask where you dug me up from <laughs> so, uh, on, those, on those two really bad dad jokes that I'm is awesome. Thank you so much. Mr. Williams, your your hum humility. Good luck. Yeah, thank you very much, sir. Your links will be in the description. And uh, I'll message you in after the show. And uh, I'm going to stay on, on the line, everyone, in the live chat. We're going to talk a little bit of Atwood, or Ratwood, as, as he's known these days. Uh, but uh, thank you, Mr. Williams. Thank you very much. It's Gerard, Zeus. Nobody calls me Mr. Williams apart from the police of my bank manager. Uh, Gerard, well... well one of my buddies, you know, online, his name is Craig, and one of my Scottish friends says, it's not Craig, it's Craig. Craig. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's, it's Gerard. Yeah. Because Gerard. Friends, they sound like giraffe. Oh, okay. My, um, I'm sorry. Mr. <laughs> nope, Gerard. Gerard. Yeah, not Gerard. I w I, I'm doing it very Americanized. You, you got to remember, okay. I'm a Mexican-American from 